This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. In our last episode of Two States, One Story, we talked with Ryan Maybe, the vice president of the Rieger Distillery. And at the end of the interview, we talked about how Andy Rieger and Ryan met for the first time. On that beautiful night in December, history was made in Kansas City. So Andy Rieger walks in on opening night and he says, hi, I'm Andy Rieger. This is my family's name. I mean, how how was that hmm. initial meeting with Andy Rieger, who's now turned into obviously your business partner? Well, I, well, I think the initial meeting was pretty brief, to be honest. Um, and, <laughs> you know, Andy always tells the story a little bit differently than I do. I remember it a little bit differently than he does, but it, I think it's it, it's kind of indicative of the the chaos that happens on the opening night of a restaurant. But, uh, um, it was a pretty brief interaction. Um, you know, I was, I think I was a little stunned by it. Um, I thought, you know, very cool. It's like one of these um, things like, this is your son type moments. Yeah. <laughs> like, here's, here's your kid. Surprise. Yeah. But, um, you know, I had, he noticed, um, on the wall in the bar, um, I had started to, to form a collection of old photos of the neighborhood and the building, um, and I found some of the old ads, the Jay Rieger and company whiskey ads at that point and had them framed and, and up on the wall. And so he saw this. And, uh, so he returned the next night, the, the very, uh, next night we were open, he came back and he brought some more old family photos and, uh, um, additional stuff like that. And then I was like, Oh wow. Um, this is great. You know? And so he, uh, just wanted to show his support, uh, you know, for the business. And, and I think he was, um, you know, proud of the fact that we were bringing back his family's name and celebrating that history. And so he gave, gave me some of those materials to add to the collection on the wall and they're still, still there to this day. Um, and so at that point, um, I believe it was that night, the second night, um, after he, um, uh, I bought him a, a drink and, uh, um, I just threw out the random idea. I was like, you know, you and I should partner and bring back, uh, Jay Rieger and company whiskey. Can you imagine him? Somebody say that to you? Yeah. Like, Let's start. Let's start a massive distillery. That sounds like a great idea. And I'd he, be in. But. He, he said yes right away. Right? Oh no, <laughs> no way. <laughs> no, he thought it was the craziest idea ever. But the crazy <laughs> ideas are always the best. Sure. You know. So, so how did you? How did this all come together? Then, if you're sitting there the second night, you meet him, say, "Hey, let's revive this whiskey brand." He says, "Oh hell no, I'm out of here. I'm not doing that. That's all you." Yeah, basically. How did we get to where we are right now. Then, and well, convincing. Yeah. What that. year was that? That when was that 2010. Happened. Okay. 2010. Late so. to, it was like Christmas of okay. 2010. Um, well, he went back to Dallas. He was living in Dallas, so he was up here visiting his, his family. Um, but uh, he went back to Dallas, and I didn't talk to him for about a year after that. Almost an entire year went by, and I continued to do my research into the into the brand and, and learn more about it and started to put together the initial um, idea you know, for, for bringing it back. And I, like I said, I was serious about it. I was also trying to run a restaurant at the same time. So, um, you know, practically it wasn't, it wasn't real possible for me to, you know, ultimately it was going to have to be one or the other, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know what sure. I mean? Yeah. Um, but, uh, about a year later, um, I felt, 
you know, strongly enough about, about the resurrection of that brand, um, that I reached back out to him, uh, right before the holidays, I called him and, and said, um, are you going to come back to Kansas city for, uh, for Christmas this year? And he said, he said, yeah, I said, I'd really love to, to meet you for lunch or something. I want to talk to you about something. And so we met, um, on Christmas Eve of, uh, for lunch, um, at a Graham and Dunn on the, on the plaza. And I, I would put, put my initial, you know, mission statement slash business plan in front of him. And I said, I'm dead serious about this. I really, um, want to do it. And I just don't think it would be right, uh, to do it without, you know, the last living family member of the, from the original, last living descendant from the original, uh, founder. I mean, you know, it's your family's name. It's your legacy. Like, I really want you to be a part of it. And he, then he said young. yes. No, not yeah. yet. <laughs> well, he's so young. I mean, I, I I always forget. Like he he's he's you, you called him a kid, you know, before. Oh, he was like twenty three. Yeah, I mean, seriously. Like when I first met him, I can't imagine having. I, I mean, I I would be like, I'm all in, but how do I pay for this? And how is this gonna? And you know, and and I think the whole Rieger family, or especially because of the banking, right? They they you know had that that crunching of numbers. So I you know to jump in head first. You know, I'm more of that personality. Um, I can understand. I mean, I'd be totally, you would have totally freaked me out is all I'm saying. Yeah. I, um, I, I mean, our personalities are very different and I, and I think ultimately that's a very good thing. Um, Andy is a very, very brilliant, um, practical, um, thinker. He did, didn't let the emotion of that idea and the emotion of that moment, you know, overtake his critical thinking, you know, and, and reason. And so that's actually a, a great trait because me, I'm the opposite. It's like, I saw a, a you know, faded mural on a wall and I'm like, I'm doing this, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I don't care. I'm just going to, you know, close my eyes and jump in and figure it out. But, you know, Andy is, is the opposite of that. And he really wanted to make sure that if, if he was going to do this, it was a sound, um, business decision and it made, it made sense, you know, and he had, he didn't have any prior background in, in the hospitality industry or, or spirits industry like I had. Um, so he wanted to learn as much as he could about it. So at least at that point, after that meeting, he was, he was inspired enough to like start asking questions and start looking into it on his own. And, um, he did his due diligence and started researching the industry and, and asking, we started having regular, uh, phone calls and, and he was asking me questions and, um, it, it still took a while, but he got to a point where he was like, you know, this actually makes sense. This, this could be something, this could be something really great. So you guys had your initial meeting in 2010. When did he finally agree to say, you know what, I'm going to join you. Let's do this. I would say that happened probably summer of 2012, right around there. Couple years. Yeah. Yeah. So were you stunned, shocked? How did that phone call happen when he finally said, I'm coming? Well, the thing that really, I think, put him over the top eventually was the fact that uh, was the network that I had formed within the spirits industry. So I was friends with the former master distiller at Maker's Mark. You know, one of the things that, that Andy was apprehensive about, um, in the beginning was like, okay, you're, you're this, you know, well-known bartender, successful restaurateur, et cetera. But what do you know about making bourbon? What do you know about making whiskey? I'm like, well, I don't, you know, but I can figure it out or I know people that do. And so I was friends with Dave Pickerel, the, the former master distiller at Maker's Mark and a world renowned, um, whiskey distiller, like literally a, a legend, you know? And so having access to someone like that, um, really helped Andy see that, you know, we could do something, of extremely high quality, 
you know, and it kind of mitigated some of those those fears and risks about starting up and venturing into something that we we weren't uh, we weren't good at. I think it's hard to, to imagine if you in this you've got this idea and then you have to find a location. You know, because you can't just, you know, make this, this isn't the old days where you, you know, put the still in your basement. Mm-hmm. So you got to find a location. And I know that original, re- the original Rieger was in the West Bottoms, but then, you know, I know, I, you know, West Bottoms, as we know, has grown a hell of a lot over these past years. So what made the decision to, like, how did you decide where you guys were going to go? Where did this go from there? Well, at that point, um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we needed to find a, a home, right? Um, and I had been, um, I had been looking in the crossroads. I was still very much obsessed with the crossroads. I had, I'd lived there at this point and, and been there for a while. I, um, you know, for the first five years that I had the Rieger, I didn't even own a car. Um, and this was prior to the streetcar. You know, I lived across the street, uh, from the Rieger and I walked everywhere. And so I kind of liked that, that lifestyle. And so we were, I was looking in the crossroads. We actually found a, a location, um, uh, very close to there that we thought would work. And we initially thought, you know, to do the distillery, the, the way that we had envisioned, we were going to need about 8,000 square feet. That was our estimate, right? And we found a building that was available for rent, um, that we, we thought would work. We had brought Dave Pickerel in to, to look at it and, and make sure that we could do all the things we wanted to do. And we were close. And then at the last minute, um, John McDonald came in okay. to the restaurant. And so John is the, the, you know, former founder and CEO of Boulevard Brewing Company. Mm-hmm. And so he had heard about this through the grapevine. And so he came into the Rieger one night and he's like, tell me about this uh, whiskey distillery you're talking about starting up, you know? And so we sat down and over a few scotches, um, I told him the whole story, told him about meeting Andy and the history and all this stuff. And he's like, don't sign that lease down here. I have a building for you uh, in the East Bottoms. And so, you know, when someone like John McDonald uh, says something, you listen, sure. you know, and Andy was still in Dallas at the time. And so I called him up and was like, dude, I just had this great conversation with John McDonald and he's got a building that he says we need to look at. And so I went down to, you know, I met with him down there and looked at it and it was about double the size that we thought we were going to need, but it was also far cheaper. And it was in a neighborhood that obviously didn't uh, draw a lot of traffic, but we weren't really looking for this to be a consumer facing operation in the beginning. Anyway, we were looking at making whiskey you know, instead of like trying to get people to come in and, and sit at a bar, we were looking at manufacturing and distribution, um, that kind of thing. So it really um, didn't matter wh- where the place no, was. Yeah. No, not really. And so it made sense. And it also was, uh, that this warehouse was connected to this beautiful old building that had been built in 1901, this red brick building, um, that was the Heim bottling facility. And so we thought, well, maybe someday, you know, 20, 30 years down the road, we might grow big enough to be able to, to expand into that building. And so we decided to, uh, to, to do that. That's how we ended up in the, in the East Bottoms. So because John McDonald got involved, sent you down to the East Bottoms, that's where you are today. And when did you actually make the first batch of, of whiskey and get that going? Um, we moved in in, uh, um, I believe, May of 2014. Okay. Um, and then we, uh, uh, the, the Kansas City, Rieger's Kansas City Whiskey was officially launched on October 30th, 2014 on the 100-year centennial celebration at Union Station. Perfect How did timing. you guys get the recipe? Is this a recreated recipe from the old whiskey that used to exist, or is this something that Dave Pickerel of Maker's Mark helped you come with? I, I want to know about the recipe. That's a, that in itself is a pretty long story. It, it's, you know, 
I wanted to. I really I was like, we have this old brand that was, you know, founded back in eight, in the 1880s. It's like, I want to know what we were making. How can we replicate it? The reality is that's nearly impossible um, because there there's no real uh, record keeping um, back then. There's no there was no permitting or licensing. The government didn't regulate production methods back then or even approve labels. And so, you know, it was literally and figuratively the Wild West. So, to, I mean, you can just imagine, I mean, you you order your monogram whiskey and you get it in in Pennsylvania or wherever you order it to. And the next batch, I mean, hope they forget their taste buds because it might not taste the same. That's basically what you're saying. I mean, who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no, there's no indication on the bottle about what's in there. Uh, literally none. Um, we did produce a whiskey that was corn whiskey. There is a label and we have it in our, uh, historic exhibit that was actually corn whiskey and we made some rye whiskey. So we have some indications, but you know, we produce a lot of different whiskey, um, brands under different labels that usually went by like a year number, like 18, uh, 1887 brand, 1895 brand, you know, and it doesn't, you know, we don't know what it, what it was, but, it, what I, what we ended up doing was um, researching as much as possible into the history of American whiskey at that time. And so lots of digging, lots of talking with historians, lots of reading. Um, and what we discovered, um, also through the help of Dave Pickerel, was um, that prior to Prohibition, and especially prior to 1900, blending sherry into American whiskey was a very, very common practice. And when I discovered this, I was absolutely blown away. This is another one of those like, wow moments yeah. for me. Like it, this, this yeah. has got to be a joke, you know, cause I was already, I had, uh, I had got my SOM certification way back in 2003 and, uh, I had entered a sherry cocktail competition in 2007 and was a national finalist. And so I was already using sherry in cocktails and already really into sherry. And so to learn that sherry was, um, commonly blended into American whiskey during this time period was like, you've got to be kidding yeah, me. Yeah, like the stars are just aligned. Again, yeah. I, it's, like it's like this was so always much, meant to be. Yeah, I there's so much fate. Do you believe in fate? Are you mm. one of those guys? I kind of have to now. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Even if you didn't before, you're like, I'm on I board mean, with this stuff now. Unbelievable. So so how did you guys actually then come up with the recipe of where it is today where you go, that's it, that's what we're doing? Yeah, so we sourced um, through uh, through Dave's help. We sourced uh, a few different whiskeys uh, from different places. We purchased barrels that were already, you know, uh, fully matured or or nearly fully matured because you know if you're going to make it from scratch, which we do, um, it still takes minimum four years, right? And we we couldn't wait four years to to launch a product, yeah. and so we sourced barrels that were finished, and uh, we bought um, light corn whiskey, we bought straight bourbon and straight rye, brought all those barrels from um, you know these different uh, places into um, our facility here in Kansas City, and then uh, once I learned about the sherry component of it, another um, industry uh, person that we brought on board is Steve Olson. Steve was uh, an old uh, mentor of mine and a very dear friend, and he was uh, familiar with the, our efforts to, to start this company and bring back this brand. And he is also considered uh, the, ro- the world's foremost expert on sherry, just, you know, by chance. Again, um, fate. Right. And fate. so I immediately went to Steve and I was like, dude, you are not going to believe this. And I showed him the, the evidence that we found proving that sherry was added to american whiskey which he didn't know and and i'm talking like he is he's literally the world's you know leading expert on the category and his eyes just lit up and i was like we have to blend sherry into our whiskey and he goes we're going to spain and literally within 30 days we were on a flight for um for spain and spent a week in uh the Jerez de la frontera region um sourcing sherry wow 
And and it is true. It, and I I mean I'm a fan of Rieger whiskey for sure, monogram whiskey. And then obviously there's a whole portfolio now. But to be able to see this all unfolding when there's already history in the building that you're that you end up in, which also with John McDonald, he he opened several buildings kind of in the East Bottoms area, <clears throat> including which I think is cool. Um, the Heim Fire Station, yeah. which is like the coolest little, I mean, we don't see, you see some on Southwest Boulevard. We do have some historic firehouses that still exist. But this one, the fact that at one time there was a brewery in the East Bottoms that was so big, they had their own fire station is incredible. And the fact that it's still there and is part of the landscape now that is Rieger, which has kind of been rebranded because you guys are the big, you know, the big dogs down there now, which is so awesome. I just think it's incredible. It's a it's a pretty cool marriage of of that that history because that's another piece that we never saw coming. We didn't know um, when we went into the East Bottoms that we were going to be in this building that was um, an old brewery, old Kansas City brewery that died with prohibition, and not just any brewery, but you know considered one of the top fifty largest breweries in the United States at that time. They were a massive, massive operation that, like you said, they had their own fire station, but not only that, they had their own glass bottling facility like they produced their own glass bottles and then they built an amusement park right uh, called electric park i mean they had a profound impact on kansas city's history and and especially in that neighborhood and you're talking of the heim brewery uh that was down there is is that another one that prohibition hit and they just yep. never picked back up from how come yep. they never got back to, to, to you know brew it again well i think um so they they had started electric park um, and they moved Electric Park from the East Bottoms down to, uh, what's now today. Yeah, Swope Park, 46th and Passaic. And it got even bigger. Um, and it was really a, a successful operation. And I think it closed in 1934, which would have been right after, uh, prohibition was repealed. But the, the family was very wealthy. The Heim family, um, they were, you know, considered a, a, an extremely wealthy early, uh, family in, in Kansas City that did very well. But after Prohibition put the, the brewery out of business, um, they started investing in some real estate in Florida. And uh, that did not work out so so well for them by the time the, the Great Depression hit and all that. There's a lot of cool things that do exist that kind of um, ironically, because usually you see that in, in Kansas City, we like to tear stuff down. I say this all the time. But one of the things that's cool is that not just these three brothers starting this brewery, which were Ferd, Michael, and Joseph, who started this brewery, and one guy kind of was the the uh, Michael who was more into the the let's create something to get draw people to the East Bottoms. Let's let's create the first electric park in Kansas City, which of course was the first amusement park, and then they kind of used their own talents to to wage. Uh, this big operation, which ended up being ironically because they started the park <clears throat> because they wanted to sell their beer and get people down to their right. brewery. But then in the end, they couldn't sell their beer at Electric Park. So you kind of, it, when they moved, so they ended up, which was fine after Prohibition, obviously it wouldn't have mattered. But that whole idea that, that Kansas City still has this bottling plant that's on the National Register, which is pretty cool, the Heim Fire Station that still exists. And if you go to the Northeast, the two, the brothers, two of the brothers built beautiful, and I mean, they're massive, brick, freaking massive mansions in the Northeast. And they, they're like twins. They're like little twins. They're next beautiful. To each other. I mean, they're incredible. Yeah. And they have huge carriage houses. And can you, I, it mind boggling to me for as much as we tear shit down in the city that these two houses still exist too. So Kansas City kind of held on to Heim, but we kind of lost, or we lost vision of what Heim was. And I think it's cool that this merriment of, Losing Rieger, not knowing what Rieger was, and then not really knowing the history of Heim and how they've been in Kansas City, 
you know, essentially um, after being in East St. Louis, <laughs> they come to Kansas City and then it's like, again, the stars aligned. And then here you guys are, you know, distilling, you know, whiskey right in the same building where these guys were pumping beer. The Himes were really, really fascinating. And um, doing the research on, on them was was a lot of fun for me. Um, they did, they were very civic minded, mm-hmm. you know, they were very committed to Kansas city at that time period and making Kansas city, uh, unique, but it was all, uh, like you said, they were, it was all centered around the beer, like everything they did connected back to Heim, Heim lager, Heim beer. Mm-hmm. Um, in one of my favorite stories is in 1886, uh, Joseph Heim, uh, started a, uh, professional baseball team. Uh, here in Kansas City, uh, and it was it was a, a major league team. It was a professional team. It was, it was a National League expansion team in 1886. They were called the Kansas City Cowboys. Oh, he was the owner of that team. Yeah, huh? Kansas City Cowboys in yeah. 1886. They actually built a stadium for them right off of Independence Avenue in Lydia um, that sat 7,500 people and was modeled after the Roman Coliseum. And a 7,500 seat stadium at that time was huge, huge. Yeah. and modeled after the Roman Coliseum. For this expansion baseball team. Well, the baseball team um, was sponsored and paid for by Heim Beer. Um, and they also only existed for two years. They were kicked out of the league two years uh, later for fighting. Well, I mean, there's, I mean, I'm, fighting with each other or fighting I with other I think they would, uh, fighting with the other teams. And also, we were the way out west team yeah. back then. So, like, so like all the professional travel. baseball teams had to travel, you know, from the east coast to go way out west. Uh, to Kansas City, and then they get their butts kicked. You know, like the, actually, the team lost a lot of games, um, but they would always get in fights. Are there any remnants of that stadium at all? No, I've like, uh. no. It's like right where the uh, um, I thirty five uh, and Independence Avenue inter- interchanges, okay. like right around the Paseo. Yeah, um, it's just kind of like to the to the west side of that, like where it kind of goes into Columbus Park. Right. Um, so there's no remnants of it, unfortunately, and there's very little information out there. There's a, a couple team photos. Um, that we've discovered, and they, they actually beer bellies. Do the guys have beer bellies? From drinking they didn't look beer. like it. They actually had some. Uh, <laughs> they had some. Uh, uh, you know those old tobacco cards. Yeah, you know, sure. baseball cards. There were Kansas City Cowboys uh, tobacco baseball cards. So this is great. you guys find this connection to Heim, and you're you're all excited about taking the next step. And then recently, you obviously opened the big facility down there where people can come now and hang out and watch you guys make it and take tours and all that kind of stuff. Are you? Where you thought you would be? Are you ahead of schedule? Is this still overwhelming to you? I mean, just the, put yourself in the mindset of where you are today. Did you ever think you'd get to this point? I'm still pinching myself to some extent. Like right now with what we have, the the new facility, the new visitor center, multiple bars, the 4,000 square foot historic exhibit. Which is telling incredible. All these stories. Yeah, everybody needs to go down there. I mean, it, anybody who, and I'm going to be bugging you through social media anyway, it is it extremely, I have to give you like serious kudos. It is extremely well done. This historic exhibit, you've got the merriment of actual objects along with photos and just a walking history of not just Rieger, not just the story of you in the creation of the brand or re, the revitalization of the brand, but you also, you know, t- pay homage to the, the Heim brewing, which mm-hmm. hasn't been done anywhere in Kansas City. And you guys actually have Heim beer on tap now. We, uh, yeah, that's another, so that's another thing. It's like we never anticipated that, you know, this was never part of the plan. Um, but, but yeah, and bringing that, that building back to life, um, we said, why not recreate Heim beer? Let's bring Heim beer back from the dead. 
you know, and, and we don't make beer, but, uh, we worked with, we like to collaborate with other companies here in Kansas City, um, multiple companies. And so we, uh, worked with, uh, Casey Beer Co. on that project and they got really excited about it and they, uh, um, recreated Heim Lager, uh, at least, uh, you know, what it is today what and it it's absolutely no again it's like <laughs> you know but they did their homework yeah. you know they researched where the grains would have come from and the style of beer that the heims would have been making back then the heim lager back then was award-winning and, and it was very very successful um so they they did their homework on you know where the hops and the grains would have come from and they they tried to recreate that style just like we tried to recreate a style of whiskey that was prominent you know in the early days of Jay Rieger and Co. Is Heim beer only available at Rieger? It is only available okay. on draft go at, down there. at the the distillery. It is not something that we're intending on um, bottling or distributing or anything like that. It's just something that we want people to enjoy when they come down to the to the facility. So if you found a bottle of old school Heim beer like you did with the whiskey, what would that oh. taste like? How that would taste would horrible. That be? <laughs> um, yeah, beer will age. not age well. Right. Whiskey is high enough in alcohol that it'll preserve itself. But um, we actually have a lot of old artifacts from Heim, lots uh, yeah. in, in the exhibit. And we have old bottles as well. None of them are full. They're all empty. But we have uh, lots of old uh, bottles on, on display. What was the coolest thing you found down there renovating this building that used to be the brewery? Um, found in the building. Yeah, just in general, like you went, the wow. tunnel. The, the tunnel, tunnel is amazing. definitely the coolest yeah. thing that we found in the building. Um, <clears throat> we knew it was there because you could tell, like where it had been sealed up, where the bricks didn't line up, uh-huh. you know. And so it was really funny. Like when we rented the the warehouse from John McDonald. Um, you know, in the building next door, would be like, dude, there's a tunnel down there. Don't you want to know what's where it goes or Can what it is? It and he's like, yeah, you know, like okay. But once we once we got the building, once we purchased the building from him, I was like, the first thing we did is grab some sledgehammers and goggles and go to work. Where does it go? Um, so it actually connected, the tunnel connects from our building, which was the bottling plant, to the original Heim Brewery, which is about 400 feet away, roughly. Okay. Um, and so it's an underground uh, network that connects to the, to the, from the brewery to the bottling facility. And they actually piped beer underground from the brewery into the bottling plant for bottling, and they transported barrels as well. Why didn't they just build them right next to each other? Like, why go through all that work of creating a tunnel? Um, that is a good question. I um, I don't know. I want to. There might have been another uh, building on the lot there at the time mm-hmm. um, that connected there. I'd have to to look at some old photos, but um, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, you know, part of it might have been that they needed the bottling facility to be right along the railroad tracks gotcha. for one so right because they because they would literally bottle it right there on the on the floor and uh create everything up and then went right out the north uh dock doors yeah, and right on right get. onto the tracks and so that's probably why the building was positioned where it is have you been in the tunnel Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I've been in the tunnel. Have you been in the tunnel? Come on now. Can you, can you, you do you get tours of the tunnel? No, we had to. Um, it's now lo- it's, it's obviously in the basement and we have a prep kitchen down there. Um, and so for, uh, health code purposes, we had to, uh, seal it back up. Um, there's very little that we can do with it. I mean, and, and we didn't like permanently seal it. We just had to like make it, you know, um, just get it up to code. Um, but it's, you know, it, we might do something with it someday, but it's also very, very small, very it's, tight. Yeah. Yeah, when I was down there and I met with Andy when I wrote um, for the Martin City Telegraph an article about um, about Rieger and the and and it was actually tied to the whiskey run in 5K and in, uh, in uh, Martin City. Um, when I was down there, it was cool because it, it, first of all, it, <clears throat> to see the transformation from 
from that time period, which was not that long ago, like what, a year and a half, two years ago, out of this little tiny office, you know, with the dog and, and, and I met with Andy and his wife, Lucy, he's like, well, if you want to see the tunnel, you see the tunnel. I'm like, I got to see this tunnel. And so, you know, you kind of walk through and, and it is incredible. It's like you, the steps and getting down there, but it's claustrophobic for sure. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't even put like a ledge cause we had talked like, wouldn't it be cool to put, you know, a small like a uh, tour, like a, where you go in and maybe try some whiskey down in the tunnel or something like that. But there's almost not enough. It, it, yeah. Not enough room. I mean, it's, Super cool. I'm glad I got the chance to go down there because it was awesome. And to see all the things that have been found in the area are really cool, too. Yeah. So what's next? Oh, my goodness. Um, we, I mean, with this new uh, building and this new element of our business, I mean, we've got we've got our work cut out for us for a long, long time, I think. You know, there there's no plans for any new businesses or anything like that. I think we want to... Um, I think we're really lucky to, to have the building that we have down there and, and to build what we've, we've got. And we want to, you know, breathe some new life into Electric Park and into the East Bottoms, into the historic Northeast. I bought a, I bought a house, uh, right at the top of the hill, um, in historic Northeast, you know, just like, um, you know, 10 years ago when I opened uh, Manifesto, I moved in across the street. I like to go all in in the, in the neighborhood. So we want to we want to really see what that area can become and try and uh, try and preserve that history and and do it do the right thing for the the next chapter. One of the things I love about the old the old brand of Rieger is this you know this the saying or like you guys resurrect which is oh so good and it's kind of like the idea of you know going down and having that uh, chance to experience the Heim the old Heim bottling plant see that there is still revitalization efforts and historic preservation happening in Kansas City and you can try some oh so good whiskey when you're there absolutely yeah we love that slogan and we uh, we plaster it everywhere I hope you enjoyed our two-part series discussing the Jay Rieger company and realizing that booze played an important part in determining the history of our town This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.